Good morning. Um, like, like you said, it's the first time I've been here. So um, today we're gonna, we've been talking about small books of the Bible. So today we're going to be talking about Titus. And we've talked about Jude and Obadiah and uh, one other one in the last couple of weeks. Um, so we're going to keep that going today with Titus. Um, this is an artist's representation of what Titus may have looked like. I don't think they actually have any real idea, but I think it's a pretty cool um, picture. Him, you know. So we're going to go over um, some of the background of the book of Titus, try to get an idea of you know, kind of the context, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, so looking at the book of Titus itself, um, traditionally it's been understood to be written by Paul as a letter sent to Titus, um, written in about 60, the 60s A.D., uh, since then, there have been a lot of people who have some criticism, and they, they would think that uh, it wasn't actually written by Paul, but somebody uh, using Paul's name. Um, so there's a little bit of controversy there. Um, part of the reason that they would disagree is it doesn't read a lot like Paul's other letters, and uh, the timeline doesn't really match exactly what we know of Paul's timeline. When you read in Acts, Paul, he uh, is going to Rome, and then he gets put in prison, and then traditionally we understand that Paul was probably uh, put to death there in Rome. But then if you read in Titus, he says, you know, we just passed by Crete, and now I'm in some other place, and we're going to meet back up. And so uh, the idea is that if Paul had gone through there, he would have had to have left Rome. And so some people would think that maybe after Acts, Paul was in prison, and then he got out, and he did some more traveling that we don't know anything about. And then he went back to Rome and was killed. And so there's a little bit of um, discussion around that. And so this is one of uh, three pastoral letters. So some people would say that... uh, you know, the reason this doesn't match other of Paul's writing is that it's actually, it's not like, you know, he typically wrote his letters to a church, and he would make these lengthy arguments, and he would, you know, kind of have a very broad appeal. He was trying to get a point across, he would give all these reasons. Uh, but this is more of a personal letter directly to Timothy, you know, somebody who he'd worked with for many, many years. And so they would explain the difference in tone, because, you know, he's just writing to a friend, so it, it you know, they don't expect it to match his other writings. And, um... Just because uh, you know it doesn't match up with exactly what we see in Acts doesn't mean that it, it wasn't written by Paul. And certainly the early church would have thought that it was directly written by Paul. This doesn't have a huge bearing on uh, where we're going with this and what the message is, uh, but just a little bit of background there. So the letter written to Titus. Titus was a Greek born in Antioch, uh, so he was a Gentile, not with a Jewish background. Um, he was converted by Paul in one of Paul's mission trips through Greece. And he became Paul's disciple and probably his translator. So Paul didn't necessarily know Greek. And so uh, Titus was one of his translators. Uh, Titus was actually brought to the Jerusalem Council in about 51. And the big discussion in uh, Jerusalem at the time was whether or not this new Christian sect, as they made converts, it was decided that uh, Jesus had come not just for Jews but also for Gentiles. And the big question was, do Gentiles also need to be circumcised? And uh, fortunately for Titus, Paul said no. And uh, there was a lot of discussion there because the Jews said, well, if you're a Christian, this needs to happen. And, and uh, Paul stood up and said, you know, that doesn't need to happen. So it was kind of a definitive uh, Timothy kind of embodied that discussion there. Um, after Jerusalem, uh, Paul sent Titus to Corinth to reform the church. There was a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. If you've read the, read the letters, First uh, and Second Corinthians, um, those would have probably gone with Titus. Uh, we definitely think Titus delivered Second Corinthians. So um, Paul had discipled this guy for many years. He sent him out, you know, then to go do his own work there in Corinthians, or in the city of Corinth. And then he also uh, collected a lot of money there in Corinth, you know, that was given back to the uh, the church in Jerusalem that was being persecuted. Because Jerusalem was kind of a backwater, uh, you know, a lot uh, more poor than some of the more culturally significant places in Greece. Uh, so then after working with the Corinthians, um, he serves also in the, the church of Dalmatia. And then after that, his final place that Paul sends him out to is this island called Crete. 
And so uh, he goes to um, work in the church there in Crete, um, where is actually where he uh, became a bishop there and he died. And so today, so he was buried there. And this is just interesting to me. In about 882, the Turks invaded Crete. And so they moved his body, sort of, to Venice. And then in uh, 1966, he was returned, sort of. Uh, this is him. They, they really only took his head with them. And so this is it being returned. And this is where this is. You can go to uh, Crete today and you can see the veneration of St. Titus's skull. And I don't think they know where the rest of his body is. But I thought it was really nice. You know, when the Turks are coming out, you know, they couldn't take the whole thing, but they, they did take his head. I just thought that was pretty cool. It must have been some parade on the way back. Um, so, but you can, you can still go see this today. Yeah. <laughs> So, so this is the island of Crete here. Um, you can see this is the whole Mediterranean. You know, Jerusalem would have been right around there. Um, so Paul's missionary trips, he spent a lot of time up in Greece and over here in Asia. And then uh, on his final trip, he passes through Crete and heads up to Rome. And so Crete is this island. You see it here, it's about 150 miles long. Uh, it's just very rocky and mountainous, a lot of terrain. Um, you can see some pictures there. Yeah, it, it, it's a quite scenic, you know. So you've got a lot of this Mediterranean on the, the north side, where you're up towards Greece. It's you know, there's a really uh, a lot of nice beaches, and um, but then as you go in, there's just a, a lot of mountains. Um, so you know, if we read in the Old Testament, uh, when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, you know, they're always fighting with the Philistines, right? Well, the Philistines actually came from the island of Crete. Uh, you can read about that in Jeremiah. So um, you know, kind of from the very earliest. Um, some of the Old Testament, you know, there was some struggle with these people that came out of the island of Crete. And they were, you know, kind of an evil people. Um, you read about kind of just before Jesus comes uh, in the book of Maccabees, which isn't in our Bible, but, you know, it's, it's uh, recorded. There's actually a Jewish present on this island of Crete. So uh, there would have been a Greek, um, this, you know, uh, Philistine ethnicity. There's Jews living there. It's this really, you know, a lot of international commerce going on. Um, so there's all sorts of different people who lived on this island. And uh, it was kind of a center for pirating, you know, because it's right in the middle of the uh, that Mediterranean. And so it's this rocky terrain. There's plenty of places to hide. It's kind of a, a uh, hideout for bandits and outlaws. You know, it's, it's a really rough place to live. Uh, but it became really wealthy because of this pirating. And uh, before Jesus, about 50 years before Jesus was born, uh, the Romans came through and conquered it. And it became a peaceful, um, you know, it gave way to, to Rome there. And so you see, there was a... It became a peaceful and prosperous kind of area of uh, commerce, um, but it didn't change the inhabitants. So you can see here, this is um, somebody who's quoting about uh, Crete at the time. With few exceptions, you could find no habits prevailing in private life more steeped in treachery than those in Crete, and no public policy more inequitable. Um, and then again, we even read, uh, Paul quotes a, a philosopher of Crete in the book of Titus saying about how they're all liars and um, out for their own interests. So, so this is a, a rough place to live. And uh, we're not going to touch on it later, but in uh, Titus 3, 1 through 2, um, Paul tells Titus, you know, command the church to be um, obedient to the ruling, the rulers and the authorities. And you know, we kind of see that a lot and we kind of think, you know, okay, yeah, we've got to respect the government. But then when you start reading about what the government was like in Crete and who the rulers and authorities would have been, everybody's out to rob and cheat. Everybody lies. And, and that's the authorities that Paul's telling everybody to be subject to. So, you know, when I kind of, you know, it, it um, puts a different perspective on it, right? We always think, you know, you should always be, you don't always have to respect authority just when they're fair, you know, really all the time, even when you know that they're wrong and uh, not doing good things. So, when you look at the, uh, 
the book of Titus then. Uh, he, you know, he has an introduction, and then a lot of the concordances will break down the message of Titus sort of in, in these five things. It's only three chapters long. But Paul, he uh, asks Titus, he says, you know, you need to ordain elders, and he gives some qualifications. He says you need to rebuke false teachers. He gives some instructions on teaching um, men and women who are young and elderly and also the slaves on the island. He admonishes them to respect government authority, which we just kind of talked about, and he tells Titus to make sure you avoid foolish controversy. So we're going to look at these in a little bit more detail. And this is going really fast, so we might have some time to really look into these in detail, so we'll see. All right, so this is uh, after Paul introduces, you know, introduces the letter and explains who he's writing to. Uh, this is the instructions he gave about empo- employing elders. I'll go ahead and read this. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So you can see, uh, we lay out a lot of uh, stipulations of what these elders and overseers should be here in the church. So, so this is Paul uh, writing to Timothy. He doesn't uh, really come out and say, uh, make an argument for each case. He just kind of says, this is what they should be. So when you see here, it's, it's quite a list. Um, and when I, when I think about uh, Titus coming to this island of uh, murderers, treachery, liars, and Paul says, you know, go find elders who are uh, all these things. You know, it's not a simple task, right? You don't just come through town and, and pick up somebody who's like this, right? So um, it, it, it was not an easy thing. And so I think that when Titus is going through these towns, it wasn't just as simple as kind of calling a church meeting and reading off a checklist. You know, sit down if um, you are this or this or this. All right, you know, the three of you are standing, you know. You know, I think this is a, a long process where he was involved with these churches and he— um, and as he was discipled by Paul, he discipled these people. And um, my guess would be that he didn't, again, find people who matched these criteria. But as he discipled them, they became like this. Um, so I think that's uh, something important. You know, a lot of times, you know, we'll read these passages and I'll, you know, kind of sit there and you're reading through this list. And like, oh, man, you know, I'm selfish. I guess I guess that's not me. Right. But but I think that uh, the point of these lists, is, you know, what what should we be moving towards? Not necessarily what are we today, right? The whole idea is we're redeemed and we become like this. And uh, so I think when we look at lists like this, we should, uh, you know, it gives us our goal. And so then we also want to talk about, um, you know, Paul gives these instructions. These are what elders should be. And I want to make the clarification that these things do not make us holy. You know, the elders weren't holy and righteous because they were like these things, but because they were righteous and saved and had a relationship with God. This is what their life is like. You know, so these things in and of themselves don't give us salvation. They don't make us holy. But they're the fruit of a relationship with Christ. So, we, you know, some people, um, you know, the, the, there's always a tendency towards legalism where it's, you know, if I'm doing these things, Paul says, you know, I'm in good shape. But we shouldn't misinterpret that. This is just what Paul says. You know, these are the things to look for. But he's not saying that this is what, you know, is the end all of uh, what you're looking for. Okay, and so the second thing Paul writes to Timothy about is rebuking false teachers. I'll read this here. 
For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced, because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in the faith, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And so we learn a little bit more about who these uh, rebellious people were Paul is calling out. Um, so again, we are on this island of Crete. There's you know, all these different ethnicities there, uh, Greek influence and pagan influence. There's these uh, Jews that have been living there for a long time. Um, we actually learn in uh, Acts that um, on the day of Pentecost, there were people from Crete, you know, presumably Jews from Crete there. So from the very beginning, you know, uh, the day of Pentecost, there was this uh, Christian influence on the island of Crete. So you can imagine this is being written somewhere around uh, 60 or 80. So, you know, there's been this church probably started for about 20 years. So in that time, there's been this wide um, divergence of maybe the, the true message, right? What um, Jesus taught, what Paul taught, what the apostles are teaching. And then what some of these early church influences came and then it was being diluted. Um, so you can see that there were Jews teaching the preeminence of circumcision. And you can remember Titus. Uh, he's already dealt with this, and so Paul, you know, again, sends him as somebody who can come and speak with authority. Um, these Jews are teaching Jewish myths, so they're probably taking some of the Jewish Torah, taking some Greek mythology, and taking this Christian message and, and mixing it into something more palatable for the people there. And, and they were doing all these things for profit. And so Paul sees there's this huge divergence in, in um, doctrine, right? These people are teaching wrong beliefs. And uh, you can see here that he was saying that there are many people... Um, disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not teach. And so you can see, not only was there this doctrine, but it was spreading, and it was really causing you know, this detriment effect on the church. Um, and then we can also take it real quick. They, they, they call this, uh, I can't remember the name for it, but it's a paradox. They say that uh, Crete's prophet said, Cretans are always liars, and this saying is true. And so some people put that forward as, you know, ha! Gotcha, you know, if, if Cretans are always liars and the Cretans said it and it's true, then they're not always liars. Um, just, there, there's actually people who have studied this for like, you know, it's been ever since this letter was written, you know, it's kind of been put forward. I think it's kind of a silly argument, but um, just so you know. Yeah, tricky. Uh, so, uh, but Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. And so again, Paul's saying, you know, our relationship with God defines us, and it's not our actions or our beliefs, but they do reveal us. Um, and so uh, there's a guy, Gregory Boyd, and he wrote this book, and he says, if what makes us feel okay with God is our confidence and the correctness of our beliefs, then our confidence in our beliefs is in effect our God. So we've just heard Paul say, you know, your overseers and the people who are upright, this is how they should live. But then he's coming right back and saying, if you're not pure and in a relationship with God, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're not going to be pure. You know, if, if you don't have this relationship with God, if your relationship is corrupt, if you're teaching for your own gain and you're not believing, then it doesn't matter what you do, it's not pure. And so, um, you know, I think that's something for us today. You know, even as we study the Bible and we learn right things, you know, if our confidence that, um, you know, if, if our relationship with God isn't preeminent in our life, if, if that's not our foundation, 
if our foundation is just we know the right things, we have our theology straight, uh, you know, we can rattle off all the books of the Bible in order and, you know, all these things, right? That doesn't save us and, and, and our um, religious talk then becomes our God. So, you know, Paul's very quick to, to jump on that. And then Paul gives a lot of specific instructions. We're not going to go over all of it, but he gives instructions. You know, this is what you should teach the old men and the old women and the young men and the young women and the slaves on the island. But we're going to go over a little bit of uh, what he says just in general. You, however, must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And everything, set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. For the grace of God has appeared that others salva- that offers salvation to all people. If teaching us to say no, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. he's showing, you know, the, he's, he's explaining that, you know, as you're teaching these people, you need to set the highest example. Um, he says that you're, you know, you have to be beyond reproach, so there's nothing that anyone can say about you, you know, as you're teaching these things. And he says that grace is what teaches us right living, um, not dogma. And so maybe we can, we've got a little bit of time here, so maybe we can kind of open this up a little bit. But, um, you know, Paul gives very specific instructions as what elders should be, and then he gives very specific instructions. This is how old men should live, old women should live. You know, he gives all these specifics of how you should live. But he comes and says that um, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So even though he's giving all these lists of how you should live, he's still saying it's the grace of God that teaches us these things. And so today we often shy away from telling people this is how you should live. Because we feel like we're Pharisees when we do that. Um, you know, we're saying, this is how, um, you know, we live, and who am I to tell you how you should live? But here here we have Paul, who's making the distinction, you know, this is how you should live, but again, it's only by the grace of God that teaches you to do so. And so I kind of would define that differently between doctrine and dogma. You know, dogma is where you come in and you say, you know, this is how I interpret the Bible, and you have to live with my interpretation. But But when we have gone too far with that, often we come back the other way and we're like, oh, you know, this is how I interpret the Bible. You're free to do it however you want, and I'm not here to tell you how you should live. But clearly, Paul is saying that, you know, we need to have a, a doctrine. You know, there, there are beliefs that we must hold to. So, I guess this is where me, I open it up if anybody has anything they want to comment. You know, how do we distinguish between um, teaching and helping other believers live rightly with God without overstepping bounds and, and uh, does that make sense? And that's a really hard line to draw. Anybody? I bet we could all sit down and talk about a time when somebody uh, crossed that line and we we felt like they imposed on us, right? Yeah. Uh, always known. <laughs> Backing it up with scripture, um, always I was taught to, if you're going to quote the Bible or, or say something out of the Bible, to know where it's at. So just so you can show them, you know, this, is, this isn't me saying it, it's what Scripture God says. Mm-hmm. 
But um, in a house church, we're, we're reading a book and about parenting and shepherding children, and it gets into discipline, and it talks a lot about, you know, without the relationship, the, the discipline's going to kind of, you're not able to back up the discipline, or uh, I don't know, I don't think I'm saying that very well, but basically, there, there needs to be a relationship there. You know, if I just walk up to somebody <laughs> out of nowhere and say, you're all wrong and this is what's right, I Somebody did that to me. I don't know how well I respond to that. Yeah. I think it's also important to point out, um, while you can have doctrine and you can tell people what you believe and having the right you know, scripture to back that up, but part of where the grace aspect comes into it is that where grace will teach them is that you can tell somebody what you believe and show them that God's word really says it, but until they go, so in a lot of cases, until they go through that experience in their own life and maybe experience some either some hardship or some some triumph or some in some way that God has given them grace or shown them something through an experience or someone or something that they won't understand it. Um, so that's kind of where that balance between you show them, you show them the scripture, and then God kind of has to do the rest in revealing himself, that, that revealing that truth to them that, it, yeah, it's real. It's the teaching of grace that... that uh, that brings us there. It's not just that, um, you know, he doesn't say because I said that, you know, I taught that ungodliness and worldly passions. You know, he he puts it right back to, um, you know, the grace that everybody can experience and know right there. Um, so then he talks about, you know, uh, teaching these. And then he finishes the book talking about avoiding foolish controversies. Um, so he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Can you guys think of any uh, discussions the church has, uh, not just our church, but, you know, the greater church today? Do we, do we ever see any foolish controversies about uh, quarrels with the law that are unprofitable and useless, right? <laughs> you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, kind of the, the message that Paul's talking about. Oh, here's get this fixed. All right. So, Paul, he, he, he instructs Timothy, you got to come and set in elders who live like this. You need to go and uh, rebuke people who live like this. You need to teach people to live like this. But then he comes and says, but don't get so mired in the small things, right? He, he lays these broad paths, right? Anybody who's kind of over here teaching this wrong doctrine, you got to rebuke them. People over here living like this, that's really good fruit. You know, put these people in charge. Tell people to live like those people. But then he, he says very clearly, don't get caught up in the little things either. Um, you know, we, uh, here we go. You know, don't draw too fine a line. Um, you know, there were always, I know the um, Jewish style of teaching, like way back, you know, in the Torah and, you know, Old Testament times, they would have two, um, two rabbis and, and you would kind of ask questions back and forth and you'd always try to parse things down and 
find these really fine lines, you know, and they would have all these rules, you know, if you carry this much on a Sunday or a Sabbath, you know, that's acceptable. But anything over that, you know, that's not acceptable. Kind of the Jewish history was to boil everything down to these really fine lines. And uh, Paul's saying, you know, let's not do that. And I think uh, even in the church today, we're we're guilty of that, right? We always want to know how far can we go before it's too far. You know, we always want to draw these really harsh lines. You know, if if we look at um, all the denominations in town, right, we could go and pull everybody's doctrinal statement, and uh, they're probably very similar in 80%, but there's this 20% that's different, right? And it's caused all these churches, you know, to feel really different. Um, and and, and Quinn's laughing over here because, you, I don't know if everybody knows, but TLR, we don't have a doctrinal statement. Because it, it, this is this is what we're trying to do. We're trying not to draw uh, lines and these things that don't matter. But also, Paul is very explicit, right? You need to teach good doctrine. No, it's not like he says it right here. Yeah. However, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Right? So Paul is saying, don't focus on the small stuff, but if you don't have good doctrine, what are you teaching, right? That um, it, It's always finding that line between doctrine and dogma. Um, we don't want to prescribe to you how many, you know, you can go this far, but not this far. You know, this sin is okay, but not that one. Or this one's not really a sin unless you're kind of, you know, we don't want to do that in our doctrine statement. But um, Paul's very clear. We need to have some sort of reason for how we live, some, um, you know, bearing in the truth of, of what was taught. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a good point. Um, you know, so all these instructions that Paul is giving Titus, these are all for people who are in the church or for these false teachers, people who claim to be in the church. And so nowhere is Paul saying, you know, you need to go to just your average uh, lying, treacherous Cretan and be like, you're wrong. You know, th- you know th- these are all uh, directions for people inside the church. So, uh, yeah, point that out. So um, just to kind of wrap it up then, I know. We've got another 15 minutes yet, but this is kind of where I'd gotten. So, Paul tells Timothy, those who aspire to church leadership are called to a higher standard since they guard the purity of the church and its doctrine. You know, if your leaders um, aren't, don't have uh, examples of this relationship with God, you know, then, you know, it, it opens the church to these diversions, you know, to people like these uh, Jews who are teaching for profit who are mixing in this mythology. So your leaders have to be pure because they guard the doctrine of the church. Uh, we need to guard against mixing the work of Christ with worldly philosophy, even when it's profitable. You know, the fact that these people, they were these false teachers, and they were making money doing it, means there were a lot of people very receptive, right? And not just receptive to that message, but willing to pay money to some extent, right? And so even when it's uh, desirable or, you know, it uh, feels good to mix this in, you know, we've got to make sure that what we're teaching comes back to um, the teaching of Christ and, what we, you know, what we see in the Bible. Um, Paul says we must instruct our fellow believers in right living, but only as it rises out of the grace of Christ and sound doctrine. 
and we must avoid divisive and petty arguments in the church so that we can remain in fellowship. All right. Anybody else have any comments or anything you want to, anything there? Thoughts? It was a few slides back, I think, on your right living. That One thing that caught my eye and I've been thinking about on there, and just because I was reading the story to my daughter uh, yesterday about Daniel, and it was talking about how we must respect and live according to the, our authorities or government. <clears throat> and you look back at the story of Daniel about how the king forced down rules that, no, you're not allowed to pray to this, pray to your God. And he clearly disregarded that that rule of authority because it, it went directly against God's God's law, God's intent, God's principle, right? So I think while it's clear we have to respect our authority and government and, you know, if they impose taxes that we think are unfair, well, that's too bad. God says you got to obey that, but there's there's a difference between that and... No, you cannot worship your God. You Absolutely. can't pray. Those kind of those type of principles. So I just wanted yeah. to make that distinction. Yeah, yeah go ahead and read that part. I didn't really draw it out, but remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. And and so you're right. I think that uh, in all of the things that you know, Paul several times does say, you know, respect the authorities. And the authorities at the time were pagans and people who were you know opposed to Christians. And so we always makes this idea that, you know, a slave serving a master or a citizen serving a ruler, you should always go above and beyond what's required of you. You should always be humble and, and again, peaceable and considerate. Um, but that doesn't mean that you should forsake, you know, the important things like, you know, worship. And it doesn't mean that, you know, if there's things that are directly opposed to the teaching and the grace of God, you know, I, I don't think that would have been included. But in, in other things, you know, like you said, um, you know, there's a lot of talk right now, you know, what if the government would take away... Uh, um, the charitable was it 401c or whatever from churches where where you can deduct money you know given to churches and people are you know and, and to some extent I understand why people are really kind of upset about that but would it really change anything right do we give to the church because you know it, does God say you know you should always give money to the church and it should always be tax deductible right you know th- th- that's not anything you, know, you can't find that in the Bible and so you know there's the whole debate and you know people can go off and I understand where everybody's at with that but um God doesn't say respect your authorities when they respect you with tax benefits either, right? You know, um, I think we'd have a hard time making a case that, uh, but then I'm just diverging there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Petty and divisiveness, right? There you go. So. All right. Well, we're done about 10 minutes early. I'll go ahead and pray, and then if um, people with kids upstairs, um, if you want to go ahead and give them 10 minutes, feel free. I don't know if there's any coffee left, but uh, feel free to just uh, talk amongst yourself and introduce yourself to somebody you've never seen before. So, God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for um, you know the messages that you have given us through the Bible. Thank you for the, the teaching that is there, God. We pray that you would help us to be um, to, to uh, take this in, to understand the sound living that you call us to, Lord, that um, you help us to move closer to this, uh, you know, this, you know, what you are calling us to, these um, good principles and, and, and uh, ways of life, Lord. 
and ask that you would help us to, um, you know, as we, as we get talking with uh, CCC even, you know, Lord, that you would help us to avoid anything petty and divisive, you know, that, uh, you know, there will definitely be differences, and I pray that you would just help us to be uh, graceful in all things, and um, just accepting, and that, you know, it would just be a beautiful um, mix of, uh, you know, this Christian fellowship, Lord, and it wouldn't be uh, anything, again, petty or derisive or um, contentious. Uh, God, I thank you for the, you know, the emphasis you've given, you know, the, the command you had, you know, to send the gospel to these people who were liars and treacherous and uh, murderers and um, all these things, God, because they're a lot more like us than, uh, you know, than sometimes we care to realize. And uh, God, I just thank you so much that you care for people who um, you know, don't care for you first and that, you know, you do send people after us. And uh, God, just that your spirit does pursue us every day. And um, I just thank you for the grace you've given us to uh, come to know you and, and love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.